In Spain, in Catalonia, that part of Spain where Barcelona is, they have this special day. It's the day when there's a local saint's day, the day of St. George, and World Book Day is also on that same day. World Book Day is a UN date. It's April 23rd, and it was chosen for Shakespeare and Cervantes' death day in 1616. On this day, in Catalonia, you give a rose or a book, or both, to a friend or to your sweetie. It's a big deal, somewhere between a writer's festival and a free music festival. It's like Valentine's Day, but better. This is Tu Cervantes for the Instituto Cervantes Sydney. I'm Zasha Rosen. I'm not sure there's anywhere in Australia where people put on public displays of passion for a book like that. But as it turns out, in English, in Australia, we do have something. What is Free Comic Book Day as a day? It's a day where participating retailers give away free comic books just for asking for it. So we give away free comic books to engender a love of the medium, but essentially it's to engender a love of story. As long as people love story, I think they'll buy comics, books, you know, they'll go see movies, and that's what we're trying to cultivate. My name is Chewie Chan. I'm the comics consultant and buyer at Books Kinokunia. Kinokunia is a full-range English bookstore in the middle of Sydney. I'm just welcoming people that come into the store to show them where Free Comic Book Day is, say hi after they've waited in the line for ages, show them they're appreciated. Oh yeah, that's something I forgot to mention. People in Sydney seem to love their comic books. The line to get in that day wasn't the shortest thing. It's gotten longer over the years. The queue this year went pretty far. Three levels, including the ground floor. It went out of our entrance on George Street, around the corner, all the way down to the top shop past State Theatre and back again along Pitt Street all the way back into Galleries Victoria. What have the people been like? Mixed bag of really friendly and excited and really grumpy to be in the line but overall mostly pretty happy. Like once they see the store and they see all the books they just get really excited and they get over the fact they've been waiting. They remember why they did it. We're seeing a lot of people having a lot of fun. There are throngs and throngs of people in the galleries of Victoria at the moment. There are two floors worth of people and they're all in various modes of cosplay, costume play, and just people shopping for comics and graphic novels. I'm Sophie. I'm Joe. We're at Kinakunya for the free comic book day. We've been standing in line for... Five minutes? <laughs> I wish it was five minutes. Twenty minutes? Everyone sort of likes the word free. However, when you add up how much the comics would be, it wouldn't be a lot of money. So, I mean, it's collectiveness, just everyone else being here and being a diverse crowd. Especially because the comics that are on offer are just so diverse and out there that you just want to be part of it. We're following little girls dressed up as, like, the most awesome characters from comic books. And buying into that fantasy is just part of growing up. It's great. Yeah, we were just talking about how we're now really super excited to go to Supernova and we're going to meet our favourite author there and... Growing up, we really liked Tamora Pierce, and she's going to be there. And we're, we're going to get our books signed. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're big fans. My name's Dennis. Uh, I've been handing out all the free comics pretty much the whole day and just seeing pretty much everyone that comes through. And it's been very tiring, but somehow really enjoyable. The crowd's really enthusiastic. It's great to see a whole bunch of age ranges, a whole bunch of kids and families getting started with the comics. It's just fun to geek out with fellow comic geeks. 
we give away comics, but we also give away experiences with artists, as well as experiences with cosplay and people who dress up. You got to understand that as much as it's fun to look at them in colorful costumes, I think if you dig deeper, you find out why did they go to the effort to dress up in the first place, and you find it comes back to that love of story and connecting to a character, whichever character that they individually connect with, and then wanting to be a part of that world. Why would you want to be part of that kind of imaginative world? For the most part, we seek adventure in story. We seek something that we don't have in our lives. I think in story. So I think if you recognize a story that you love that may or may not have elements you're looking for, because some people want to escape the world, some people want to recognize someone in their world, whichever way it is, as long as they connect with the character, they just want to be a part of it because it's what they're looking for. The costumes are important and they're cool, but there is something deeper going on here. And it's not just people at Free Comic Book Day who think so. Anne Walsh knows her Spanish language culture, and she sees it too. This is why Cervantes is relevant, because this is exactly what we do now. We've created a whole world around fiction that for some is more important than their real world. It it gives them an outlet. It gives people a way of expressing things that in our very busy worlds, we don't have time to discuss, you know, the big things, life, death. What has meaning? Why are we in such a hurry? I'm Anne Walsh from the Department of Spanish and Latin American Studies at the University of Sydney. I do know some young people who dress up in all the costumes, spend a day getting ready to go to either comic book day or to go to the latest movie that's to do with Disney Princess or it could be Harry Potter or whatever it is. And they spend hours dressing up as their favorite character. And it makes them, they tell me, feel that they are part of the world. Ironically, the real world, because this is where their world and the creation of this text that has impacted on them so much collide. They can possibly shake hands with the star or at least feel that somehow they are sharing in the space by dressing in the same way. So to them, it's the very blurred line between reality and fiction. They they are entering that blurred line that is quite fascinating, where one thing stops and the other thing starts. And this love of fantasy worlds, it's not the only part of Don Quixote that's there in fiction since the days of Jane Austen. The influence is everywhere. There doesn't seem to be any end to the playing with literature in a similar way to Cervantes this similar idea of the author playing with the text, using metafiction, using complicated narratives so that sometimes you're not quite sure who's telling the story. If Don Quixote had been written in English, people would have been perhaps more aware of the resonance that he's had. Of course, he's been translated many times into English. But when you compare him with Shakespeare, the idea that certain things are inherited from him hasn't quite entered the popular conscience, perhaps. The character of Don Quixote would have gone through many transitions, but one of the most spectacular would be from the late 19th century, when the Romanticists got a hold of the idea that he was a romantic hero and rediscovered this notion of the damsel in distress, and he became a heroic figure, a greater-than-life figure. Very quickly after that, the realists take control in the early 20th century. The realists who thought that Spain had lost its way and should rediscover what reality is about rather than dreaming all the time. With that, Don Quixote lost part of his heroic status and he was seen again as this madman who couldn't grasp what was needed. What people needed was somebody to work hard, 
to understand their place in society. And that sadly continued quite a lot when we come into the Civil War and the post-Civil War, Franco's dictatorship. But the Quixote gets rediscovered once the regime ends in 1975. The country transitions into democracy. And with democracy came what the rest of the Western world had been discovering, postmodernism. And postmodernism meant that there was nothing new to be discovered in the world. Therefore, the past matters because that's what we need to build on. And part of that past was the Quixote. Many of the stories saw the unhappy ending as being exactly what Spain needed at the end. That there is no way forward, that Spain is caught in a loop, that history will always repeat itself, that there is a vicious circle. And Don Quixote was ideal to prove that. He starts as Alonso Quijano and he ends as Alonso Quijano. So what more of a narrative pattern could you possibly wish for? Many people took up the idea of pairing characters, so two men going on a journey, finding themselves or finding adventure. We can see that in lots of literature. There's no coincidence that one of the big sections of literature that has become very popular in Spain is detective fiction. And thinking of that pairing of Don Quixote and Sancho Panza, one of the most famous pairings would be by Vázquez Montalbán in his Caravaggio series where we have the detective, very much a postmodern man who rarely really solves any crimes, and sidekick Biscuter. The fact that many movies and novels are based on a pairing of two men who are addressing a certain goal, from Laurel and Hardy to Dumb and Dumber to Hercule Poirot, the detective who always has a sidekick, we have Thelma and Louise, for an example, of female characters playing the roles. Women who make a decision to lead a different life to the one that was probably mapped out for them. Have there been any good movie adaptations of Don Quixote? Well, the short answer is not really, no. Most of them concentrate on the first few sequences and the tilting at windmills is kind of the big episode. The best movie that's loosely based would be The Man from La Mancha, which contemporizes the story and looks more in depth at the central character and his conflicts. Man from La Mancha is a musical, so that adds a different dimension as well. But usually the adaptations haven't grasped, because it's so difficult to grasp, the attraction of what Don Quixote is. They usually exaggerate how skinny he is and how mad he is and how out of his time he is. Part of the magic for me too is how we change in our attitude towards his madness. That at the beginning we're laughing at him. We're laughing at this strange character who dresses in such a strange way with strange, impoverished knight's armour. But when the Duke and Duchess in the end are laughing at him, we really are angry. We have come to know him in the real way, through what others think of him and through his actions. And we've grown fond of our little Don Quixote in the end. And we protect him. We don't want others to laugh at him, even though we did at the beginning ourselves. Amelia Dale. You could say it's a disjunct. Don Quixote is interpreting the world through a completely different lens to everyone else. But I think it's also a delusion about who he is. Even if you think about Toy Story and the way that Buzz Lightyear is convinced that he's some kind of space hero, and then Woody's like, you're a toy, Buzz, you're a toy. Don Quixote has to learn that he's not a superhero knight. He's an ordinary guy. Does he have that metaphysical moment like Buzz Lightyear in front of the television? I think so. And I think like in Toy Story, it's this moment 
even though throughout the entire time you're put in a position where you're like, no, just wake up and realise the way things are, that it's this moment of loss and kind of tragedy because that delusion in it was so much idealism and imagination and delight. I hadn't thought of that, that this idea of a character self-realisation. It is something that's explored in Spanish literature quite a lot. We're intrigued with the idea of self-consciousness in fictional creation because it reflects back on how do we know that we're not creations. And for some, of course, it would serve into if we are creations, then who is the creator? And it becomes an existential question, not just a literary question, but how do we know what we know about ourselves? And what is the truth of existence? So you go from Buzz Lightyear Toy Story right to that question. What is existence? He's a character who gradually becomes aware of being a character. And the idea that a character is telling you that he is a character pulls the rug from under your feet because how do you know you're real? If he thinks he's real, but we know he's a character, what are the tenets that we build our reality upon? The link is how much of reality is also fiction, how much of reality is a construct that we've made ourselves believe because otherwise we're too lost. That's self-awareness, the metafiction. Remember metafiction? Metafiction can be a way of playing with the reader and making them feel like the story is more real. It's a kind of breaking the fourth wall, which is addressing the audience directly. Hi. It's something we get in literature and film today as well. I mean, take the recent movie Deadpool, for example. Deadpool talks straight to the audience, and it's based on a comic where Deadpool talks straight to the reader. From Kinnikinia, Chewy-chan. Deadpool, a mercenary with a mutant power, started breaking the fourth wall, which is to say that he spoke to readers, and he would clue readers in on what he was going to do, which can be a very dangerous way of storytelling, but used correctly is very funny, because then you bring the reader along as a co-conspirator to what he's doing. I haven't seen the film, but I've nephews who have and have explained how they really enjoyed it. They enjoyed the breaking of the illusion, again, the idea that somehow they're implicated and that somebody knows that they're there. They felt that somebody saw them. Before, when a reader was reading and the rules were broken, that helped us experience that somehow we were important to the person who wrote the book. And it's the same experience when you go to the movies and you're being addressed, that your presence has been noted. And I think that for every human is one of the most important things, that you are visible. There's a fourth wall when you're reading as well. And of course, Cervantes' novel in its first creation would have been read to an audience as opposed to an individual reading a book like we do now. So it would have been a performance. There's overlap with that idea of breaking out of the text and contacting through that fourth wall. It's like what they call a Chinese box. We know we start with Sidi Hamete Benengali, who's telling the story. He gets translated. Is he the translator? The effect of all the narrators is to confuse you so much that you don't really care in the end who's telling the story. You just focus on how they're telling it. Part of the experience of reading Don Quixote is confusion. And through confusion, you start questioning. And once you start questioning, then again, you become aware of what you're reading. And there was another author in the 20th century, Gonzalo Torrente Ballester, who wrote a book, Don Quixote como juego, Don Quixote as a game. And his argument really convinced me that it is a game, 
literature is a game. We play it. We're the team, the author and the reader. And we enjoy that game just as much as we enjoy football or tennis or whatever it is. We know the rules. And if the member of the team starts breaking the rules, playing with metafiction, if you like, then we become even more conscious of why is he doing that? And that's not allowed. And we get very indignant, which is a very interesting experience as a reader. There is something inherent that as humans, we enjoy that game. We don't like to be able to predict the ending. And it's something that because we revere a certain canonical writer, we often forget that Cervantes wrote a very funny book, that he was entertaining. He liked to make people laugh, it would seem, and through his characters. But the laughter is dark humour. It's something that makes you question. Now we like to put literature into a little cubbyhole and say it's for entertainment. It's when I'm not doing something important. But for me, literature is the most important thing because it reveals who we are and what we're doing here. And I think that's the challenge of the 21st century, to enjoy life more rather than being so serious all the time. Cervantes wasn't a serious man, and yet we forget. We think about the tragedy that is Cervantes, but his character had great fun. Especially when Cervantes was writing it. The novel itself was so new. It's just something that is being really experimental with it. What we might identify now as a kind of ironic distance from the novel form is actually an experimentation with a new form, with an invention of new modes of writing and new modes of reading. Lilith Thwaites. In a way, I mean, obviously, you've got to take what the author gives you. There isn't a single Don Quixote anyway. And I think what you as the reader are doing is enhancing that range of options and adding what you're getting out of the reading. What Cervantes did was show that, in a sense, there is no limit. And if you're a talented writer, part of that talent is to give the reader that freedom to explore further, to pull out the boundaries, to add their own imagination and so on. Two Kyotos was produced by Paul Yul. Presented and edited by me, I'm Zasha Rosen. Made by the Instituto Cervantes in Sydney. Music in this episode, Rosie Catalano, Kai Engel, and Broke for Free. See the episode notes for full details. This has been our last episode, but if you enjoyed listening, please, read Don Quixote. It's just awesome.